Welcome to CBuzz, Columbus's first business-focused podcast presented by the Columbus Chamber of Commerce and Capital University. I'm Michaela Hunt, your host for the next half hour or so of conversation. We bring you the best stories from the Columbus business community and get to go in-depth with leaders, decision-makers, and so many more. We record the show at Capital University's Convergent Media Center. The center is a collaborative space where students and faculty from diverse areas of study work together in really new and exciting ways. And we have an exciting conversation for you today. You know, January 2019 was a monumental moment for the Columbus Crew Soccer Club. A more than two-year-long effort to save the crew from being moved to Austin, Texas, was successful. The tipping point for the crew's security in Columbus its new ownership by Jimmy and Dee Haslam, who own the Cleveland Browns and the family of Dr. Peter Edwards. We're thrilled to welcome Dr. Edwards to our CBuzz studio today to talk in depth about this journey. So Dr. Peter Edwards, thank you so much for being here today and sitting down with me. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. You know, I know you a little bit from outside of this conversation, so I have that advantage, but I really want our listening audience to get to know you and kind of the journey that you have been on, as I just mentioned. You're you're board-certified orthopedic surgeon with a fellowship-trained specialty in sports medicine, more than 20 years of experience in treating elite athletes. And that span includes your tenure with the Columbus Crew as its team physician. Um, And it's a position you held since the team's inception in 96, and you maintained it until just recently when you became part owner of the team. So I, I want to ask first, with these world-class athletes, I mean, we're talking U.S. men's and women's national soccer teams, NASCAR, NFL players, Olympic wrestlers. First of all, what is what has it been like to treat some of these athletes? Well, it's so, so much fun. We uh, like to make everybody better, but it's really fun when you get to see someone that you've worked on succeed at a high level. So that that's very exciting and very rewarding to have a tangible Thing to hold on to about what they've done to kind of get back to what they love. And we want to get everybody back to what they love, but it's fun seeing the elite guys do well. And then you get to watch them on TV and whatnot, see them compete at that highest level and know that you had a hand in that. Yeah, it's it's very rewarding to take care of those guys. So I really want to start the conversation with a little bit of, of that background so listeners can understand kind of the medical part of this, but also the fact that this is your city. I mean, it truly is. You're a Columbus native, right? Yeah, I was born here. I went away to train. But other than that, I've been here for really probably 53 of my 58 years. (laughs) (laughs) So you are Columbus born, bred, Central Ohio guy. Yes, I am. So, you know, your family too, through businesses really has participated so much in this community in so many different ways um, on the business side of things. So one of the questions that I have is, what made you decide to go into medicine considering that, particularly orthopedics? I am curious. So my dad's mom, my grandmother, uh, would say to me when we were at family gatherings, I had 16 first cousins, and we would go to her house, and she would say, we don't have a doctor in the family. And as I went through school and did well in math and science, she would come to me and say, you're going to be our doctor. (laughs) So I I guess it stuck a little bit. And uh, then through college, I thought medicine was good. And I went to med school thinking I was going to be a pediatrician. Love kids and I love the energy. And then when I got through with med school, I was kind of like, well, I'm not sure I like sick kids. I don't mind hurt kids because I can fix them. So it was kind of a blending of my desire to work with kids in sports medicine in something that I can fix problems and still work with kids that get better. I can understand that. Most definitely. I think a lot of people could understand that. So, um, so it's so interesting, your journey with the Columbus crew, given your background, your family, and all of this, how this really merged together in this 
nearly perfect moment. And I know the Save the Crew folks think that, you know, I mean, I followed that pretty well on social media. So you spent more than 20 years as the team's physician. So how did that start? Let's let's talk about that first. What was that connection? I mean, obviously, you're the orthopedic guy, but why did that connection happen? So when I started in practice, I, I recognized that a lot of, of patients and a lot of people identify their doctor by the team that they take care of. So when I was training in Oklahoma, um, I would see patients that came up from Dallas and I would say, who was your doctor? And they say, the Cowboys doctor. I'd say, what's their name? They wouldn't know. So it was a really uh, kind of early in my career, I recognized that that um, having something to latch on with your provider, something that, that you thought made them special, made them memorable. So when I came back to Columbus to practice, I was looking for the opportunity to work with a professional sports team. There wasn't one. So as MLS was starting to form in the mid-90s, I approached the league before we even had a team and said, what can I do to help? And they said, come to Combine, help us do physicals, get involved. And so I got involved. And when Columbus was named a team, they the joke was that they didn't know who the coach was going to be. They didn't know who the general manager was going to be, but they knew I was going to be the doctor. So I just, uh, you know, fell in love with the sport and uh, got involved early. And it it uh, worked out that I got to take care of the team way back in, in uh, 95 was when we really started doing some things for the before 96 season. I wanted to tell you, you probably don't know this, Lamar Hunt, that's my family. Oh, I didn't so know Lamar that. Lamar was my grandfather's was it uncle. Yes. Oh, that's so, so yeah, cool. because HL came from central Illinois where I'm from. Mm-hmm. So you would have started with the team when the Hunt family oh, really was into I it. I knew Lamar really well. And uh, until I had so many soccer things to do, I always wore a blue sport coat with gold buttons because that's what Lamar wore every time I ever met him. So kind of to honor him, you know, early in this process when it was one soccer thing a week, I would wear the, the same blue sport coat to everything just to remind me that he was a great guy and that, you know, if I can be half a, a good a, uh, servant to the game as he was, that I would be successful. He loved sports, yeah, obviously, from all really, that he did. He My dad spent a lot of time at Chiefs games when he was a kid. Mm-hmm. So, yes, I just I wanted to mention that to you. I didn't think you knew yeah. that. So while you were working with the team for this time as a physician, what was your experience like once things really geared up? You know, you had been there, it sounds like, prior to it even really starting. So what was it like as things came into play and as they formed? Well, in the very beginning, there was it was very informal. There was not much money. We didn't have a stadium. We practiced in the grass outside of Ohio Stadium the first year because we didn't have a practice facility. So it was very free-flowing and very informal, but you could see the writing on the wall that things were going to develop. We just didn't know how quickly. So the thing that, that I noticed in the very beginning was that soccer guys are really genuine people, and they really care about their sport. They really care about their community. There's no pretense. There's no entitlement. They just are very, very happy to do what they love. And and that bond of being in the locker room with those guys and having a core group of players for eight years in a row where we had eight of our 11 starters were the same guys for like eight years. So I went to their weddings. I went to their christenings. You know, we had Christmas things together. We really spent a tremendous amount of time. And back then I would take my daughters with me. So I only had two at the beginning, but I would take them on trips with us. And so the guys would get to know my family and they'd be playing race cars with my son in the locker room once he was born. And, and really the, the personal side and the locker room side, it, it was really, really wonderful. So did that time that you spent with those players, the fans, the organization in its entirety in that role feed into your decision to invest in this team? 
Yeah, you know, you 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 realize how important a sports team is to a city, and you feel that from the inside. You know, people think, oh, do the guys really know if we're yelling? Do they know if we go to the game? They do, and the support that the guys felt um, from the early crowds, and when we opened the stadium, and the USA Mexico games, and all the things that have come to be synonymous with soccer in Columbus, were super super influential in in my thoughts in the Haslam's thoughts that that we couldn't lose this team, that this was part of the fabric of our city and that, that the young millennial nature of our city was really perfect for, uh, for a soccer team. So right before this Save the Crew movement started, I want to go back there for a second, you know, and you just saw what was happening between the crew and the city of Columbus and the Austin conversations in your mind as you're watching this happen online, there was so much online. What are you thinking at that point as you're seeing this back and forth? I mean, when did you realize that you'd be heading that direction? I, mean, I want to get into your mindset at that time. Well, I think without the support of the Save the Crew guys, you know, we wouldn't have felt comfortable going forward with what was going on. Before the birth of Save the Crew, I was engaged behind the scenes, um, talking to MLS and doing things. But as, as that process started to see the swelling of support from Save the Crew, from the city officials, from Alex Fisher and the partnership, to have all that support come in behind my initial efforts when the conversation between the mayor and, and Alex Fisher broke down after the September meeting um, in 2017, um, that support was integral in giving us the, the, the power to feel like we could do something that people would care about. And I take it, obviously, during that time, you were having conversations with your entire family. I know you're out, you're the face of this, but saying to everyone, hey, this is something we really need to get behind. Um, I, I didn't actually include my family until near the end. I didn't want it to be something they felt like they needed to support. And, and the odds were so long in the beginning that um, I, I didn't really think it warranted, you know, bringing a bunch of different voices in at a time when the odds were, you know, at one point we said 1%, then maybe after six months we said 10%. And, and it wasn't really until we were fairly far along that I went back to my family and I said, hey, I know you know I've been working on this but is this something that you'd like to be involved with to any degree? And they said, you know what, it's good for Columbus, and uh, so we're, we're willing to be involved. And that's the spirit, from what I understand, of the Edwards family, which I love. You have said before that becoming a co-owner of the crew was not about making money. For you, it was this decision to invest in this good thing for the city, as you were just alluding to. So what role did Columbus and its support in the development of the team? I mean, you were having these conversations, but they were, again, you said 1%, 10%, kind of moving forward. When did you know it was time? Was there like a pivotal moment in that momentum before you talked to your family that you said, we're going to do this. We're going to go ahead. You know, I think I started mentioning it to him in the summer of 18, but I don't think it was until um, September 21st when we actually went up and met with the Haslams in their kitchen that I, I Alex Fisher and I and Steve Lyons got back in the car and I looked at him and we all kind of giggled and I said, holy bleep, <laughs> this may actually work. So uh, then I kind of went to my family and I said, okay, this is this is actually real now. We need to decide, you know, how we're going to be involved and in, in, in who in my family wants to. And, and to all their credit, Jeff, Mike, and my parents, they all said, we're in for whatever we need to do to get this to happen. And the city, obviously, so glad to see that happen, given, you know, where we were in conversations. Yeah. The support with, with the partnership and the city officials and the county 
it's been overwhelming and it really makes you feel good to be from Columbus because most cities couldn't do what happened here. It's never been done in modern sports where an owner tried to move a team and a city said, no, it said it's our team. And that's what we really feel like. We feel like the the team belongs to the city. We're just the stewards. The team is going to long outlive me and, and even my family in, in Columbus. So that's that's what we're all about is providing an asset to the community that that people are proud of. So are you a Twitter user? Well, I wasn't until my daughter told me I had to get a Twitter account <laughs> in in uh, January or en- end of December this year. <laughs> she said you have to have a Twitter account. So because your people are there, that's where they are. I mean, they're beyond that and other social media platforms as well. Um, so the movement that we saw on social media, what do you think of all that? You know, it was so strong. I had the opportunity to interview a couple of the guys with Save the Crew. It's been about a year and a half ago, but it was an amazing effort on social. It was. And and I'm not the most literate social media guy, but you know, you feel the love. It's just, it's amazing the amount of support and amount of just energy you could feel from those guys. And, and it was constant and it was organized and it was you know, really accomplished guys that said, okay, I have my day job as a banker, as a finance guy, as an internet guy, as a marketing guy. And they all came together with their skill sets and, and created something that is going to be studied, you know, by Harvard Business School, by, by Fisher College. They're going to look at this and say, how, you know, can a group of guys from Endeavor Bar on Fifth Avenue sit there on Saturday mornings and really move a city of a million people to do something that shouldn't have happened. Yeah, it's a total case study. Oh, it's really to cool. your point. Really cool. Um were they it was anyone in your ear saying this is happening on social? Like was I mean so you were watching headlines, you were in conversations, but does it was anybody telling you at the time oh, yeah. this is what's blowing yeah, up? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean um even my kids, but everybody would say, you know, hey, there's there's just a lot going on. There's a lot of support. And uh so I would I would definitely try and key into that times when I was was discouraged because I think something wasn't working. I, you know, I'd go and and uh, or Morgan Hughes would call me or something would happen, and I'd be like, okay, just keep plugging, and you know, hopefully we figure this out. You've also been involved in the creation of a plan to build a new stadium at the western end of the Arena District, a plan that involves turning the current Montfrey Stadium into the new crew training facility and community sports complex. So I, I wanted to ask you this too: How do you think this development will help support and grow the Columbus Crew, its fan base? And really, the greater Columbus community. Yeah, I think that that our guiding principles and missions, which really have have flown through the Haslam's because they're so experienced and they're so knowledgeable and they're such good people, that that they've kind of shared their ideas with me and they mesh so well with mine and my family's. It's it's just like oh, wow, this is perfect. And that is is that we want to create a winning franchise, um, and that we want to have a good game day experience. We want fans to really enjoy themselves. And then we want to give back to the community. So we think that the stadium deal with Moffrey, where it becomes a community park as well as a training facility, is a great way to give back to that area. There's hundreds of thousands of people that are within a mile or two of that area that don't have a sports complex that they can use. So creating that opportunity for kids to be active and play is something that we really value. Um, the game day experience is all about a downtown stadium. And, and so we think that... Being in a walking distance to restaurants and bars, where the site is only 0.4 miles from High Street, so we really are close um, to to the heart of the city. So we want people to be able to have the opportunity to to eat, drink, 
march to the match. Uh, marching to the match is a huge part of the culture in lots of cities. So, so we're, we're going to see a lot of that. March we are going to gonna see that. And uh, we're super excited about that. So we think that really the key to re-energize the team after 24 years is a downtown stadium. We're going to have a dynamic stadium. It's going to be a fun place to go. And I always joke and say it's a fun place to go and there's a soccer game there too. So it's <laughs> it's really going to be a place where you know the, the 18 to 40-year-old core fans of ours are going to want to go on a regular basis. And we hope to have activities there outside of game days so that it really is a, a, a center of activity, whether it's farmer's markets, which D Haslam is super excited about, um, whether it's food courts where we bring in multiple food trucks and people in the warmer months can go and have a place like in Portland where a congregation of food trucks go and people can go and decide what they want to eat to show in movies on, on, you know, on maybe on a big screen there in the plaza so oh, that people can come that. do that in the summer. Yeah. So we have lots of great ideas about um, about enhancing that area and making it, you know, it's right now the biggest piece of dirt in downtown Columbus, and, and we hope to turn it into something that people are proud of. The visibility from the freeways is going to be excellent. So when people are driving in on 670, that's I mean, it's going to be a, a dominant thing as they come into the city. So we, we're really excited about that, that will be identified at the from the people coming from the West. Well, and the ripple effect to businesses, which a, a large amount of our community of listeners or business owners are involved with business, obviously, with this being a part of the Columbus Chamber, there's a ripple effect for businesses by you bringing folks down for games and this game day experience. Oh, we think it's going to be huge. I mean, restaurants alone, you know, you're adding, if we do concerts, if we do other events, you know, maybe 50 events a year where people are there. And you add that in with Blue Jackets, which is 40 events plus concerts. You add that in with baseball, there's going to be 20,000 people down in that area as fans, you know, 150, 200 times a year. And imagine if you have two games at once, then you're going to have 40 or 50,000 people down there. And the energy is going to be really, really fun. And, and uh, we think that's going to, you know, make everybody really excited to come to games. So you've done a lot of interviews. I mean, I am your upteenth millionth interview, I feel like. But is there any inside scoop for our listeners that you're able to share now that you haven't been able sh to share up until this point about the stadium? Well, I think the stadium, uh, we want to make it millennial. And, and so we're exploring all kinds of options. And we saw in Kansas City that they had a like an indoor-outdoor beer garden where the, you can have micro-brews, where you can have national brews. And, and, and there are some renderings that show that they're going to have the, the glass garage doors that will open, so it'll be indoor-outdoor, and it'll open right onto Nationwide Boulevard. Um, you know, the, the plans aren't done, and we're continuing to tweak them, but we're really excited about the, the uh, concourse going all the way around so people can walk all the way around easily. We're, we're really excited about the food service options, the way we're going to be able to pre present those as well as some of the other little tweaks, like we're thinking about having a glassed warm-up room. So if players warm up, there may be fan access to see some of the guys and what they do during warm-up, and you pick up on their personalities, and you see them playing soccer tennis and doing, you know, doing juggling things that they do as part of their warm-up. So we're, we're trying to create the fan experience that makes everybody excited, and that may be for some people watching these guys warming up and doing skills that they might not get to see on the pitch. Right. And we learn so much about the game and about what's behind the game for those of us who aren't as familiar. 
So a Gallup poll that was released last year asked Americans what their favorite sport was and found that soccer was the one sport where there was a significant increase in support. In fact, football, basketball, baseball all showed declines in the poll. So given that poll, why do you think Columbus is such a great city for soccer and this whole plan? Well, I just got to chill because that gets me so excited to hear about people that are are uh, identifying with soccer. And, and really, you know, there's so many people that play soccer. You know, there's as many as 3 million people in the United States that play soccer on a weekly basis. So when you grow up playing the sport and you know it, then you become a fan. So as soccer has picked up in participation, especially for the kids, we anticipate the demographics of them growing older and starting to buy tickets to be a huge boost to the crew going forward. And with the EPL excitement from the English Premier League Sunday mornings, my son gets up early on the weekends to watch soccer. How early is that, by the way? I've not done that yet because my boys aren't quite there yet. So the game started at 8, 9 o'clock. So, and the fun thing is, is a lot of the bars in Columbus, like Endeavor and Land Grant, they'll open on a Sunday morning at 8, and guys will go get a beer and watch a soccer game at 8 in the morning on a Sunday. So, and, and I think that, that the players that have grown up with the sport and are, are watching our league get better because the quality of play is improving. We're getting more international stars as our league continues to climb up the ladder internationally. Then people will say, we're proud of our league. The other leagues in the world are starting to take notice. We're starting to sell players, which is what happens in soccer. And the other leagues are starting to say, oh, that guy's good enough to come play in our league. And we're willing to pay millions and millions of dollars to get them to come over. So it's it's a it's a process that's been happening over the last 10 years in earnest, but quality of play improving, players becoming fans, all those things are really important. So Columbus, at the right time, is doing what we're doing with the Haslam's and your family to make this happen, because it's like right at the cusp of where this is all going to really, really, we're going to see some a lot of even more change, it sounds like. Yeah, I think so. And I think that, that something that you can't predict, but you have to kind of be aware of is, is the World Cup's coming here. In, in seven years. And it's going to be a, an event like we've never had here before. When we had in the 90s, people didn't know, and it was a huge event, but it's soccer's so much bigger here now that the interest and the excitement, not only in the United States, but from around the world when people come here, is going to, we think the sport's going to even explode more after 2026. And that gave me chills because laying that picture is, yeah, I can, I can see where you're coming from with that perspective. So what has it been like working with the team's new coach, Caleb Porter, and its new president, Tim Bezbachenko? We're so lucky. You know, we, we, we think we had a really interesting um, situation to look at with general managers and coaches, and we had a lot of interest from people around the country to come here. Um, they saw the support. They, they saw what was happening. They saw the new stadium that they could participate in. They saw the new training center that they could participate in developing. They see the excitement from the fans and and the the opportunity to take a team that was already pretty good, because we are pretty good. We're tied with D.C. at the top of the table this year so far. We played one more game than them, but still, 10 points in five games is is uh, a really good start. So I think they said, wow, this is not an expansion team. This is a team that's got a collection of good players with a little tweak. Maybe we can come in and win sooner than you might think and get to participate in building a world-class stadium. We don't want to build a nice stadium for the U.S. We want to build a world-class stadium and a world-class training facility. So all those things rolled into one. Um, we had really, really lot of quality people, and we got to pick. And we picked Caleb because we thought he's a phenomenal coach, 
and and he's proved that by beating us when Portland beat us in 2015 in our last MLS Cup uh, appearance. And Bez, you know, Bez created what most people would tell you is the best team in the history of MLS in Toronto. And he's a really smart guy. He's an attorney. He's an Ohio guy, as is Caleb. Um, so for them both to kind of be able to come home and and uh, build this team for, for Central Ohio is, is a dream for them, and it's a dream for us. Where do you see the two, given that, taking this team this season and beyond? Well, Caleb puts it very bluntly. He says, we want to win trophies. And, and he's kind of the, um, if you're not first, you're last kind of guy. So, <laughs> and he makes it very clear, and he's not shy about that, is, is we've had a very good team for the last three or four years, but we haven't won anything. And, and he thinks that that's the evolution of this team is to, to bring trophies to Central Ohio. So that's, that's our goal. Um, you know, there's a little bit of a process, um, but, you know, we felt like our team was good enough that we didn't want to tweak it, you know, until we kind of got into the season and saw where we were. But, uh, you know, we want to win, and uh, that may involve, um, you know, some new players over the next year or two, and we're excited about that possibility. But you know what? We're in first right now, so we're playing really well, and Caleb's doing a great job, and Bez is, is super experienced in player acquisition and and understanding the salary caps and all the complicated TAM, GAM, this money counts for this and that, because he set up a lot of those rules when he worked for the league. So we think we have have kind of the Batman and Robin. Uh, I don't know who's Batman and who's Robin, <laughs> but we have, we have a dynamic duo of guys that we think are going to really, really do great things for soccer here. Is it beneficial for you to have another team like the Blue Jackets here in town to do what you're doing? Absolutely. Our thought is that for life and for sports and for everything is, is that we're better together than we are apart. And uh, just the other night, the Blue Jackets had um, several of the crew guys on in their playoff run. Um, Pedro Santos, Jesse Zardes um, went to the Blue Jackets game and were recognized. So we think the synergies are, um, are big. And we think that, you know, whether that's the true sports fanatic that comes and says, oh my gosh, I can come to an NHL playoff game one de- day and watch a crew game the next day. And even just the energy of, of being in the same area. And the guys get along great. The, the soccer and the hockey guys are pretty similar. Um, so they, a lot of the hockey guys really like soccer and vice versa. Uh, so that, that is really nice to have other guys, you know, that kind of critical mass of professional athletes that they do hang together a little bit. They might go out and get a beer and they might know each other and, you know, in off season. So um, it's really, really important that, that, and same with Ohio state, we're all in this together to make Columbus a better city. And, uh, and I think that together um, we can do things that we can't do apart. So we keep plugging. So, you know, a lot of this, when it comes to this podcast, we're pretty business focused. And so I wanted to ask this question too, while I had you here, do you have any advice for our listeners who might be, um, in a similar position in their workplace? Like there's a leadership opportunity or there's an opportunity to step up and do something, whether it, it it's not going to be as massive as maybe what you did with the crew, but for those who are trying to find s- suitable leadership for their business needs, how, how do they look at that? How do they go about that? Well, I, I was really blessed to have Alex Fisher and Steve Lyons um, as uh, kind of mentors and helpers through this process because it was really complicated. 
and and they're both so smart. So I, I think I would say surround yourself with really good people and make sure that if you're going to be a leader, that's not something that happens by yourself. Uh, that's something where you need to have good support and, and people that can help you um, do that. But I think, you know, don't give up and keep working. And I think you do it for the right reasons and you're authentic and people understand that you're trying to do the right thing and that helps too. So I guess be yourself, surround yourself with people that you trust that give you good advice and and uh, don't lose hope if it gets a little bit rocky. How do you tap good leadership to go along with you on the journey then? So you had to choose, you know, you were in a situation where you were looking at coaching staff and who was going to manage things. How do we identify good leaders in our lives that we might be able to work with? Well, I think that you obviously do your homework and do your due diligence, and that's part of any process you have to understand um, what the qualifications are that are requisite for the job that you're looking for or hiring for. And then you have to have a personal connection. And, and then after that happens, I think you have to step back and sleep on it and try and decide from a step back what is important and uh, how does that meet. And then I would say, even after you think you've made a decision, go make it again. Interview somebody else, um, bring in somebody else, go a totally different direction and see if you still want to go back to the first person that you thought might be the one. And I think that that you do. You have a little different perspective when you step away. What you think when you leave the interview might not be what you think two days later or when you see somebody else. So take your time and do your due diligence and make sure there's a personal connection. Then take a break and to see if you go back. It's a process, just like everything else. So I will say this. You know, this all for me circles back to the beginning of our interview where you talked about the fact that in Oklahoma you saw the need to come back home and align yourself with the team. And this is where it led. I mean, that's just kind of an amazing thought to me. So from a business perspective, when you were in med school and right afterwards in residency, it sounds like you were knowing from a business model decision that you wanted to align yourself with a sports team, given what you did. I mean, this for you, you have a business mind on you and you have since the beginning, it sounds like. Well, we did have some business discussions at the dinner table when I was growing up. Just a few. So, <laughs> so that, um, you know, I was a psychology major undergrad in my pre-med years. And I think you you pick up on things about what people identify. And I mean, I really got lucky because no one knew in 94 when I started really working that soccer was going to explode. And and my practice is really tied to soccer. I mean, the bulk of my my young athletes are soccer players. And no one knew that there'd be, you know, 100,000 kids playing soccer in Columbus back in the 90s. But there are, and it was pretty lucky. And uh, you gain a lot of experience in 25 years of taking care of soccer players. There aren't too many things that you haven't seen. And your staff gets really good experience in dealing with the sport so that you can provide a higher quality of care. A little bit of medicine, a little bit of business. A little bit. One last question for you. Just how many Columbus Crew rally scarves do you really own? I want to know. Probably 40. <laughs> I got I got six. I got six on Christmas Eve. I got uh, six of the new really nice yellow ones that lay so nicely with the crew logo on them. They're really cool if you haven't seen them. And uh, I got six of them in one night because people just kept putting them <laughs> over my shoulders. So um, a lot. And, I, you know, I've been collecting them for 25 years. So I've got my son has four or five USA Mexico scarves because they are different ones. We haven't had that many. Uh, we haven't had five USA Mexico games, but um, sometimes they'd have uh, you know different styles, and he'd come home with two scarfs on a night when we played that game. So where do you keep them all? 
He keeps them over his bed. Okay, where and do you keep yours? I keep, mine are hung on a, on a rack, and I still wear them. I, you know, I pick one out, and I'll say, I haven't worn that one in a long time. I walk my dog a lot at night, and it's chilly, and I'll throw a scarf on every night under my coat when I take him out so he doesn't wake me up in the middle of the night. One for every day of the month and then some, and your dog appreciates it. <laughs> Dr. Peter Edwards really enjoyed the conversation, so thank you for being with us today. Learned a lot, and I'm sure the Save the Crew folks are listening and appreciated the story and the journey as well. Well, thanks. Go Columbus and go crew. Go crew. If you enjoyed today's episode, please let us know by sharing your ratings and reviews. All you have to do is search CBuzz on iTunes or your preferred podcatcher and leave your comments and suggestions. It also helps people find our show, so remember that too. We read every single piece of feedback and use your ideas as we plan for future episodes just like the one you heard today. CBuzz is produced in collaboration with Capital University and is recorded at Capital's Convergent Media Center, so we want to thank their talented students, faculty, and staff for helping bring this program to life for our listeners. I'm Michaela Hunt. Thank you again so much for joining us, and we look forward to chatting with you next time.